0: Welcome to Flight Safety Detectives. Here hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation experts, talk about all things aviation safety. This podcast is brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-241-7891. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up on the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, gentlemen. It is a, another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. It's good to see you both. Uh, I've been on the road. I know John was on the road. Todd, you just got off the road. It was a very <laughs> short
1: drive, but yes,
0: I was on the road. Yeah, well, it was, hopefully it wasn't a scary drive. A
1: little but... rainy, a lot of the leaves blowing around, but nothing serious.
0: Well, that's good. You know, we are we are now getting into this winter season, and uh, and because of that, uh, general aviation icing accidents are going to start rising. And even though we know that icing conditions do and uh, exist somewhere in the United States throughout the entire year, of course, as we move uh, fall to winter, uh, we're going to see an escalation in general aviation icing type accidents, and that's what we're going to talk about today with a Cirrus that had an icing event in Utah and um, and the lessons to be learned. And again, all of these things that uh, pilots need to really start gearing up for as they fly into winter conditions. But before we do that, I know, John, you're going to get us started with some pearls and of course, uh, some sponsorship news.
2: Okay, I just want to remind everybody that today's show was brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, as well as Avemco Insurance, a premier general aviation insurance company. Great people, knowledgeable folks to talk to. Many of them are pilots themselves. Give them a call if you need insurance at 888-879-0389. And you can reach them on the web at avemco.com. But again, great people to deal with. Give them a call, even if you just want to talk aviation. So, and with that, Greg, we'll get in right into this uh, little discussion over weather-related accident.
0: Yeah, the big thing, John and, uh, and Todd, is the fact that, like I said, we are coming into uh, winter flying season, and I was the investigator in charge on a, a very notable accident involving an ATR 72 that crashed in Roselawn, Indiana back in the 90s. And we learned a lot from that accident about icing and super cool drizzle droplets, that is basically freezing rain. And and through that particular investigation, of course, we've been able to enhance a lot of the information that we've put out into the aviation community about in-flight icing. The problem is, is that a lot of that information doesn't settle into the general aviation community. For whatever reason, pilots don't believe that uh, they need to know that stuff. Well, in fact, they need to know more about it. Why? Because if you have an inadvertent encounter with icing conditions, you really have to understand what those icing conditions are doing to your airplane. I don't care if it's just light icing, but is, of course, it escalates to a moderate and definitely a severe icing event. You really have to have plan B, plan C, and maybe even plan D. But you have to be prepared. You have to understand how to understand the conditions. And in this particular accident we're going to talk about today, there are definitely a lot of learning lessons. Unfortunately, you're not going to get them out of the NTSB report. Uh, Again, here they've done another job of just collecting some factual information, putting it in five pages of a report and failing to really educate the aviation community, particularly the general aviation community, with lessons learned and things that they really should understand. So let's get into it. And then I'll give you my two cents worth. I know that uh, you guys will chime in as well as we, uh, as we go through it. But this was an accident of a Cirrus sr 22 in, um, in Utah. And the pilot had flight planned uh, a flight between uh, Moab and Henderson. Uh, basically Las Vegas, Nevada. He was going out IFR. He had gotten a pre-flight weather briefing and filed an IFR flight plan through ForeFlight. Now, what the board doesn't tell us is what type of briefing this pilot got through ForeFlight. I've worked a number of accidents, even just recently, where we've been able to pull down the information that this pilot uh, had on his iPad with regard to the briefing through ForeFlight. The board failed to tell us that in this particular report. I'd like to have seen that to see, one, how comprehensive it was, two, what information the pilot did get, especially about icing along his route of flight and and, and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, the report doesn't do it. But the pilot, uh, after filing, did take off. They initially went up to a cruise altitude of 14,000 feet. This airplane was equipped with a TKS weeping wing system. And, and we'll talk about this a little later in the show, but the TKS weeping wing, which you'll see on a lot of general aviation airplanes consists of a billion little holes, and I didn't count them all, but they're laser drilled holes uh, in the wing and then on a, uh, on a pad that's mounted to the wing that allows basically a, a thick type fluid, anti-icing type fluid to weep onto the wing, into the airstream. To, uh, to do one of two things, either act as an anti-icer before you get into an event, or a de-icer. Once you get into the icing and you started to collect it, it can, in fact, in some cases, de-ice the airplane. But again, uh, this airplane was equipped with it. As, they, uh, as the pilot was uh, operating at 14,000 feet en route, talking to the air traffic controllers, he then asked for a climb to 16,000 feet he never made it to 16,000 feet. Radar data shows that as the airplane started to climb, and this is backed up by onboard information collected from the Avidyne system on the aircraft, as the airplane started to climb, ground speed started to slow down. And given the fact that it started to slow down, of course, his, uh, his rate of descent actually started with that slowdown in ground speed right there with the premise that uh, he's in an icing event, you can almost start to see the picture. The airplane was icing up. He was trying to climb out of it. Uh, Of course, as as the ice accumulates, what does it do? Yes, it affects aerodynamics, but it also causes the airplane to weigh more. So now the airplane starts to slow down. It's not aerodynamically proficient. And of course, with the slower ground speed, vertical speed starts to increase. Like I said, he never made it to 16. And in fact, as his ground speed slowed down, so did his vertical um, descent increase. So he went from an initial vertical uh, speed heading down at uh, about 81 knots at about 830 plus feet per minute down as the airspeed, or excuse me, the ground speed slowed down to 64 knots, vertical speed descent increased to well over 2000 feet. The airplane was seen uh, spinning as it came out of the uh, the sky, basically went behind a bunch of trees, and crashed. And it's a very that's a very simplistic overview of the report. The problem is is that the good stuff um, is lost in this report. The board investigator did talk about the weather that existed in the time through a meteorological study. There were, of course, air mets for. Um, Light to moderate mixed icing and rime icing along this pilot's route of flight. They went further, got some additional information, and again, doing the analysis of the weather, it was evident that not only was there this icing event, but there was also some convective type action to this icing event, which we have learned through uh, the Roselawn accident that anytime you t- have a lifting action of any kind, You may have water droplets suspended in the atmosphere that do not freeze at 32 degrees, but in fact can become super cool drizzle droplets. That is, the temperature of those droplets can go well below 32 degrees, the freezing point, stay in suspension, stay in liquid state, and then instantaneously freeze on something that hits it like an aircraft. So you now have a very dynamic environment that this pilot is operating in. They also talk about the fact that since these airmets were issued, since the uh, the weather that was forecast for the area did include icing between 9,000 and 21,000 feet, right in that band of altitudes that this pilot was gonna fly in, the question is, did this pilot know? Did he get all that kind of information? If he did pull it down through his four flight app, did he really pay attention? Did he understand it? There are a lot of pilots that do not understand weather. Yeah, they know enough to be dangerous and pass it on a, on a uh, uh, written test and talk about it in an oral, on a practical test, but did they really understand it? And we find, especially in general aviation, that that's not the case. So now we know we have known icing Now we know we have an event that this pilot's flying through. It's obvious that the climb was likely to try and get out of the icing. But the problem is, is this icing event went up to 21,000 feet. That airplane, that Cirrus SR-22, wasn't going to 21. He was trying to get out of it at at 16. That wasn't going to happen. Now the question is, did he have plan B? Did he have plan C? It's obvious he didn't. The one thing about general aviation pilots that the three of us have seen in accident investigations is the fact that pilots want to go direct, point A, point B. They rarely think about going an alternate route to point B. It's direct. Let's go straight line, get there, and that's what we're going to do. In this particular instance, if the pilot had really heeded any of the information about icing along his route of flight, especially in the band of altitudes he was planning to operate in, He should have had an alternate course to get to uh, Henderson, Nevada. It's obvious he didn't. Now the question is, one, the board didn't talk about any of these things in their report. They gave me the facts. They gave me some basic information about the pilot, the aircraft, and all of that kind of stuff. And when they did their analysis, they just regurgitated the factual information out of the the report. And, And that right there, does not help us in the general aviation community for lessons learned. And and it's just sad because this was another lost opportunity where there was some good information based on the aircraft accident investigation that could have been brought out, that could have been discussed so that any of us who read these reports could have learned something. And and the sad thing is is that the, the bottom line to the analysis is And this is quoting from their report. It is likely that during the last minutes of flight the airplane encountered moderate to severe icing conditions which adversely affected the airplane's heading handling characteristics and likely resulted in a loss of control. Really? You really think that that was it? Likely? (laughs) Resulted in a loss of control? Guess what? That airplane came whistling out of the sky. It was iced up. It was an ice cube coming out of the sky. You didn't need to leave the office as an investigator based on the information they presented to come up with the probable cause statement that says the National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable cause. The pilot's encounter with moderate to severe icing during cruise flight, which resulted in structural icing and a subsequent loss of control. Contributing to the accident was the pilot's decision to continue flight along a route through known moderate and severe icing conditions. Really? That's the best you can do? There are so many things this investigator missed when dissecting this accident that could be learning lessons. And it is sad that these missed opportunities do not provide a forum for us as pilots to learn from. This kind of report is worthless. All it's gonna do is go into the statistical database of accident due to icing. Okay, great. I mean, okay, so now you add that to a number, who
1: cares? Now there's a possibility of getting more information than, than the basic report, because as many of you know, there's a basic accident report and many of the events, even those of general aviation, have an accident docket with more background information. In this case, even that background information didn't give us much, but it did give us a few hints. For instance, they uh, had a uh, cataloging of what was the condition of the airplane, and especially, this is a Sirius SR-22, what was the condition of the parachute? Well, it appears that the parachute was operable, it was packed properly, and the pin was pulled. And although there was nothing in the public docket, if you look up Cirrus's uh, pre-flight procedure for the aircraft, one of the procedural steps is to take out the pin of the parachute, so that it, if you pull the handle, it'll work. In other words, it looks like the parachute was working, but the parachute wasn't deployed. Yes, I'd have been instructive if the, if the NTSB said, look, this aircraft was equipped with a certain parachute system. Given how the aircraft crashed, it's likely it was well within the performance envelope of this parachute system. Had it been pulled, it's likely this pilot would have been able to, and the passenger would have been able to survive. No analysis like that. Yep. And definitely something that could be a learning lesson for especially Cirrus
0: pilots who have this system. You bring up a great point, Todd. The fact is, is that this airplane was out of control. It was at, you know, 15,000 feet when the pilot lost it and the airplane started coming down. And given the fact of where it crashed in Utah, that was still about 10,000 feet AGL, above ground level. So that's a long way to be coming down and not pull that parachute. And so, you know, the question is, why didn't the pilot pull the parachute? How familiar was he? with that particular system, not from an operation standpoint. Was this a brand new airplane to this pilot? Did he really have a lot of time in this, in this airplane? Did he really understand what and how to deploy that, that uh, parachute? We find with a lot of Cirrus airplanes that the initial owner of a, of a brand new Cirrus gets all the flight training. But in the secondary market, a lot of these pilots don't. So did he really understand that? You bring up a great point. But now the question is, how conversant was this pilot to understanding the weather conditions? It's obvious that he got information that even if it was just a fragment of all of the information about icing that I've seen was available, and it goes, you have icing along your route of flight, why don't you heed that message? Do you think you have an airplane that's going to be able to penetrate that icing event and make it through safely? Why? I got an autopilot. So the autopilot will fly the airplane. I have that little magenta line. I'll just point and shoot. And oh, by the way, I got this, TK, uh, this TKS system. You know what? As soon as I see that I'm getting into weather, I'll turn it on. It'll keep the airplane clean. All of those are wrong ideas for a pilot to blast off into known icing conditions. And oh, by the way, how many pilots out there, general aviation pilots, are very conversant and familiar with 91 527. That's operating in icing conditions. We also call it FIKI, flight into known icing. You have to understand, is your airplane certified for flight into known icing? FIKI, certified. Is your airplane not certified? But if you have an inadvertent encounter with icing of any kind, do you know what to do? And how do you know what known icing is? Well, there are a number of tools out there, weather tools available to the pilot. Yes, there are PIREPS. Yes, there are AIRMETs. Yes, there are SIGMETs. There's a variety of different meteorological tools, including a CIP. Do you guys know what a CIP is? Gotcha, stumped you. It's a CIP is dedicated to icing. It's called a, uh, a current icing product. Literally, it's a chart that has varying shades of blue color to give the pilot an idea of where and the intensity of varying levels of icing conditions and altitudes. It's a valuable tool. But if you don't understand how to read it, you don't understand how to interpret it, then it's worthless to you, just like everything else. These are the kinds of things that a pilot cannot take for granted. You, I mean, just because you take off, and I mean, this was May. So people go, ah, it's May there's no ice. Guess what? There's ice all throughout the year, not only here in the United States, but around the world. John, if you remember, remember that Air that was going out to the Bahamas that iced up at 23 or 24,000 feet? I do, uh, And it came whistling out of the sky and it was really uh, miraculous that this crew was able to regain control of the airplane after that icing event. And, and salvage a very bad situation and get the airplane on the ground in one piece. But that was going out to the Bahamas, you know, in early spring or late spring. So again, icing, depending on where you are, doesn't, you know, it may not affect you all year round as far as the type of flying you're doing, but there is not a point in space and time somewhere in the world where icing isn't going to affect a pilot. And you have to not only understand how to read these charts, understand the the forecast, because, of course, the Federal Aviation Regulations say you can't fly into known icing, nor can you fly into forecast light to moderate icing. The question is, how do you make that determination? And one Uh last thing, one last thing before I let you guys, because I'm on a roll and I'm going to pontificate. One of the things about reps that we learned when we were doing uh, Rose Lawn was, yeah, there were a number of PIREPS by guys who were flying in holding patterns in the general vicinity. What we as general aviation pilots must understand and we must heed is the fact that if, uh, if an A320 pilot reports light icing, light icing in an A320 is moderate or probably severe in a Cessna 172 or a Cirrus. You have to look at the aircraft to determine really what kind of significance it's gonna have because light icing in an A320 is not light icing on a 172 or a Cirrus. And you have to keep things in context. The fact is you're listening for where did they pick that ice up? What altitudes were they at? And what's it gonna do for me because I'm gonna blast through there or I better make an alternate plan right now. Another example, Greg,
2: of, of pilots trying to beat the system in their own mind. You know, I've, I've showed up at my airport today. Yeah, my airport's pretty nice. I'm going to go to Las Vegas or wherever. And I'm just going. And yeah, there's some weather in route. I'll check it out. Well, Flying from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. It's an awful lot of territory where there's no place to put that airplane down. Yeah, An awful lot of high uh, mountains that you have to uh, either go over or run run through the valleys with. And uh, that's dangerous no matter what. Even in in good clear weather, that's dangerous. But we we just seem to have so many pilots after this COVID has hit that are willing to take risks uh, that maybe they wouldn't have early
0: in 2019. John, trust me, we're going to dissect more. I got more accidents like this. You know that these guys, the mentality is it can't happen to me. I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. I would never fly like that. I would do it happens. And we got tens of of thousands of accidents to talk about. Unfortunately, this show isn't long enough for, for us to do that. But I mean, I got a Cirrus that took off uh, out of an airport uh, 60 miles north of me out of here. Brand new, two private pilots, husband and wife, and their two young kids take off in a Cirrus at night with a flight plan to go to Utah, southern part of Utah, and the magenta line showed them point A to point B. What the magenta line didn't show them is it didn't break when it went through the side of the mountain because they were going to try and do this flight at 10,000 feet. And the MEA in that area is 15. And they ended up center punching a mountain along that little magenta line. He was on the line. Well, yeah, he was on the line, except that Cirrus will not bore rock. (laughs) That's the problem. And now you wiped out an entire family. The biggest thing here, John, well, there's a number of big things and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, give you some things to think about, but the first one is you bring it up on every show of ours. Poor pre-flight planning. This pilot had four flight. There's an immense amount of information, whether it's four flight, Garmin Pilot, uh, Wing whatever you want to use. Do what. The problem is, is that pilots selectively filter the information because they want to be successful, accomplish the mission, point A to point B, ah, I don't need to worry about that. a little bit of icing, I got an airplane that'll handle it. Guess what? Doesn't happen. So, as you always preach, John, this pilot, this whole accident sequence started before this airplane ever left the ground and this pilot ever got in the airplane. The NTSB never talked about it.
1: Before you give us the last tidbits bits of information, before John wraps things up, there's one question I had from the public docket. There was a toxicological report that said the pilot had um, some sort of antihistamine in his system. Could have been over-the-counter, could have been prescribed. One of the side effects is drowsiness. And I'm just thinking, well, if it was detectable, might this have figured into this accident sequence?
0: They blew it off in the report. Now, okay, if you're going to blow it off, then tell me why you're blowing it off. Was it because what they detected wasn't of sufficient level to have an adverse effect uh, causing drowsiness or um, you know, some sort of spatial disorientation inducing type uh, you know, uh, physiological event. They just blew it off and said it didn't matter. Well, again, there's another shortcoming in the report. But let me just give you a couple of, well, a number of things uh, that I found that could have been very beneficial to the aviation public had this been discussed by the investigator. One, like we just talked about, What about poor pre-flight planning? That's a huge issue. This accident started, like I said, before the airplane ever left the ground. What about how much IFR time the pilot had? I didn't, I mean, okay, they put a bunch of numbers in there. Is that hard IFR time? Is that simulated time? Is that frequency? I didn't see anything about currency and proficiency and all of those things. There was nothing discussed about this pilot's background. Uh, What about whether the TKS system would have been able to handle the amount of ice that he flew into? The board said he was in moderate to severe. As far as I understand that TKS system, one, pilots need to understand that you have to turn that system on before you get into an event for it to be, because it's so uh, congealed, it weeps slowly, even though the airstream will move it across a, a broad spectrum. You have to understand the system, how it works, It's limitations. You have severe icing on a Cirrus when that airplane is rocketing to the ground. I don't care what system you have on the airplane. It isn't going to work and it's not going to save you. Nothing was talked about the limitations of the TKS system and whether or not that pilot could have or the TKS system could have handled it. And did the pilot do those things necessary to get the system on in time or prior to getting into this type of event? What about if exceeding the manufacturer's limitations for the TKS? At least put in here what the manufacturer says is good and bad about this system. Every system has a limitation. What about discussing the TKS and what it should be used? Again, pilots just say, oh, I'll just turn it on when I get, once I get in there. Well, because it weeps so slowly, the, the, the downside for a TKS system is time because it takes so much time. That's why you should turn it on before. Not, not after you get into the event.
2: There's another downside to that too, Greg, and that is the cost. And and I've I've talked to pilots occasionally about the system, and uh, they don't like paying for it. Yeah. All right. So we know pilots tend to squeeze the the uh, pennies every chance they get, yeah. and I especially GA pilots because they're struggling uh, to keep their airplane up if they're building time they're trying to get as ma- the maximum number of hours as they can for the dollar that they have available and uh, sometimes they they won't you turn it on because they don't want to pay for
0: it yep no and john uh, you know the ntsb investigator she wrote a little bit about you know the tks system that it was all broken up in the uh, in the impact sequence great tell me what it says in the maintenance records Was this system actually filled? Was there fluid in the reservoir for this system to work? When was the last maintenance? When was the last inspection? Part of the pre-flight inspection procedures by a pilot are to inspect that TKS system. Did anybody see them do a pre-flight? Has anybody flown with them in the recent past? Has anybody flown with them in prior conditions similar to these where that pilot knew how to work this system? A lot of pilots have systems on airplanes They don't understand how they work, don't even know how to turn them off. So these are the benefits that we've we've lost, except for the three of us talking about it. These are the benefits that are lost by this report of, well, the pilot flew into icing and lost control. So what? That didn't teach me anything. And I literally would not have had to leave the office to figure that one out. That became pretty evident as soon as you start pulling weather information. The biggest thing I think- yeah, John. And and, and and with Todd and I have been reviewing a lot of accidents. And one
2: accident that I I've got on our list, uh, which is recent one from the NTSB, but it highlights a point that I wanted to make when we get to it, and that is the the uh, level of detail that's been lacking in the NTSB reports. You just went over a whole laundry list of them. I on this accident we have they mentioned. Uh, that the fuel selector valve on this this airplane was the indicator was not indicating the right tank it was almost indicating the right tank, never checked that it was in the detent, never yeah. checked that it had fuel in it. Uh, they're claiming he ran out of fuel, but he was running on the right tank for an hour, yeah so the selector valve wasn 't the issue, but the way they wrote it they would appear was the selective valve was not positioned properly. I mean, Bernie Loeb or uh, the other guys that in the in the AS accident investigation division of the NTSB would never have put up with that. Yeah. They never would have in the, in days past. They would want the detail behind it. You're saying there's something wrong with it, tell me what's wrong with it. Tell yep. me what you checked to make that determination. That seems to be missing for the, For the last year or more,
0: or if you find something that's out of sorts, tell me why it's out of sorts, and then tell me why it didn't contribute or cause this accident or this event or whatever. It could have been just an artifact of 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 the uh, impact and things like that. Uh, you know, just wrapping this up i I just want to leave um, you know some learning lessons for uh, for our viewers and listeners, and that is one. As we, as we do get into uh, winter operations. Um, there, I, I know a lot of pilots. I've talked to them over the years. I've investigated these accidents over the years. Um, there are a number of airplanes that have abrasion boots. We've all seen airplanes that have the black boots along the leading edge. And these, and these guys go, oh, well, you know what? You know, yeah, it's an abrasion boot, but it'll prevent icing and things. No, it won't. That abrasion boot really is only to prevent rock chips and dents that are getting thrown up from the propellers you're motoring along or running into, you know, (laughs) big bugs and and that kind of stuff. Those abrasion boots just protect the leading edge. They are not a de-icer, anti-icer, and in fact could be an ice collector under some circumstances. So don't think that because you see black boots on your airplane, especially if it's on a 172, you know that that is not a booted airplane for flight into known icing conditions. So Understand what your airplane can and cannot do, what it is certified to do. What type of system do you have? Do you have a de-ice system on your airplane? That's an after the fact. That is a system that after you have accumulated ice on the boot that is actually inflated. That's a de-ice system. Do you have an anti-ice system where you have either a heated wing, heated propeller, heated windscreen, or you have a weeping wing where you turn the system on to prevent that ice? You have to understand that. And of course, you must be familiar with the regulations. You have to know what known icing is and you have to know what the FAA means by forecasted light to moderate. You have to use the tools. You have to use the information to flight plan. And then the last thing is, if you are going to go through an area where there is a possibility that you could run into either no icing or an inadvertent encounter, you must, must, must have plan B, plan C, plan D. You really need to understand. My airplane, when I had the, the Piper Comanche, I could go through a heavy rain event, And I felt the airplane, the ailerons would start to buzz because that airplane really has a laminar flow wing. It's a smooth wing built for speed. But if you contaminate it just a little bit, it didn't like it. I understood those characteristics. And if you understand the characteristics of your airplane, pilots need to know that if you pick up a little bit of ice on the outboard leading edge of the wing of a 172, and you go, oh, you know, the airplane's still flying pretty good. What you don't understand, if you don't understand aerodynamics, is that if you make a control movement where you turn the wheel to roll into a bank, you create lift and drag. That's what ailerons do. All of a sudden, now, you could actually stall one of those ailerons because of that buildup of ice, even if it's basically minuscule or minimal, or you don't think that it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Knowledge is power. A
2: lot, a lot of general aviation pilots, I've had this discussion,
0: don't understand that
2: if you disrupt the airflow at the leading edge, you can destroy the lift over that whole piece. And it's, let's say you have just a quarter of an inch of disruption on the leading
0: edge. That grows as, as it goes over the wing somewhat. You saw that in that wing was, wing. That's why the, That's why an ATR-72 came out of the sky because of a quarter inch of ice that built up.
2: Yes, exactly right. That's where I was going with that. Yeah. We know
0: that. And the fucker in LaGuardia. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. Yep. Yeah. I worked Same that thing. one as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's all about knowing before you're going. You know, that's the real uh, know before you go. We've been yeah. saying that for how long?
2: I mean, yeah. that was one of the buzzwords that the FAA had put out there long ago. And, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to get the GA pilots. The, the student pilots are a lot more cautious. It's, it seems like we have a band of GA pilots that have been around a while, got enough resources that they can get their own airplane and that's when they get in trouble.
0: Well, the fact is, is that we lost two people in this particular accident we're talking about. We lost a good airplane. And the question is why? You know, was it ego? Was it a misbelief? misunderstanding about the capabilities of either oneself as the pilot or the aircraft. And then why didn't you use not only the tools that were available to you to ensure that your flight could be conducted safely, but as Todd brought up, you had a safety tool on the aircraft that you failed to use. And that was the parachute. So many unanswered questions in a needless accident that took the life of two people. The question is, why? So with that, John, um, you know, I just want to say that uh, I think accident dissections like this are good, um, but we always have to have lessons learned. And I think just this discussion provides more lessons than what the NTSB did in this particular report. So with that, I will leave you with the last words after I give Todd 10 seconds to say whatever it is he wants to say. Well, okay, you're 10 seconds. <laughs> okay, John.
2: <laughs> All right. I don't hear any noise from you, Todd. So no, no, take it away. I want to remind everybody that this show has been brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, as well as a Vemco Insurance. And again, great people to deal with, a Premier General Aviation Insurance Company. So if you have liability, need for liability insurance, how insurance, if you're a CFI, if you need insurance, give Avemco a call at 888-879-0389. Again, I, I know I sound like a broken record. They're great people. I was so impressed with them when we spent a couple of days with the Mountain in Oshkosh. Uh, really, really impressive for an insurance company. And if you're going to go fly, take a lesson from today's, Pod, uh, pod and, and uh, YouTube video, you know, do a thorough planning session. If you're in an area of the country that's having moisture in the air, possible icing conditions, take the necessary steps to avoid it, un- understand it, and fly safely. Do a good pre-flight. You know, we don't know in this pre-flight if this pilot even checked his anti-icing system. Make sure it's up to date, make sure it's serviced. Yeah, I know it's expensive, but you got to do the right thing to save your butt. So I'm tired of looking and look at, at these accidents. Very frustrating to go through these accident reports and see so many of them that are unnecessary. So please use your head. You've got brains in there. You never would have got to be able to fly. All right, use that knowledge that you've gained to get there and fly properly fly safely like greg says have plan a b c d and e and keep going if you need to All right with that i'll just say please fly safely
0: to listen to more episodes of this show go to flightsafetydetectives.com or your favorite place to listen to podcasts Thanks for listening, and remember to fly safe.